weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Well, a big thanks to the two Johnnies in Africa for driving us through the afternoon. It is Wednesday, November 1st on Shane Dawson and you are listening to Game On. Coming up between now and 7pm, Bernard Jackman is standing by to discuss the big news of the day as David Humphreys is appointed IRFU Performance Director. Keith Tracy is in studio to chat English League Cup Ballon d'Or and plenty more besides in the world of football. Damien Lawler will be dialing in with the latest Gaelic Games stories and Gary Moran teases up for a big week for the next generation of the world's top golfers. Plus, we have the chance for you to win €400 Euro cash all thanks to PwC. As always, if you want to have your say, you can text us on 51552 or post a message on social media platform X, formerly Twitter, at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Yes, hello there. Good evening. It's great to have your company, Bernard Jackman and Keith Tracy in studio. But before we chat sport, it is competition time. And how would you like to be in with a chance to win €400? Euro? What about 3,000 euro? Well, listen to this. The PwC Camogie All-Stars take place this Saturday at Crow Park, where the Players of the Year will be announced. Celebrating excellence in Camogie, the awards are all about recognising the country's top players. What we want to know is, who would make your Camogie Team of the Year? Head across to rte.ie forward slash GAA and just for voting, just for voting, we'll enter you into the draw where you could win yourself that amazing three grand all thanks to PwC. We'll announce the winner before the end of Friday's show and to be able to chance of winning that €400 Euro today, thanks to PwC, just simply text us now on 51552 and tell us who your Camogie Standout Player of the Year is and why. Include your full name, your county, email address in your text. As always, competition terms and conditions apply. See 2fm.ie for details. Game on. Football. Now, we will be chatting rugby, but one football headline uh, today is that Windsor Park has been officially confirmed as the venue for Northern Ireland versus the Republic of Ireland in their UEFA Women's Nations League clash on December 5th. The match will kick off at 7pm. So that leads me nicely into a chat with Keith Tracy about last night's um, interesting match. A 1-0 win in slightly difficult conditions. It was a bit wet. Have you ever played in, in such oh, just disastrous conditions Keith uh, <clears throat> I played in some really bad uh, bad conditions but nothing quite like that I, yeah. I played for St. Pat's uh, against Minsk in Minsk and about three hours before kick off it just became torrential rain and we started looking around going this is going to be called off but the locals were saying no this is normal this is alright this is a pass and <laughs> lo and behold the pass and we played and uh, I think I think we drew that game one off so it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad one but really bad conditions but that for me is, is a little box ticks from the girl because since Vera Powell's gone out the door people were saying yeah okay the style of play how is it going to go for the style of play you still need a backbone when things mm. get tough and they showed a bit of backbone last night so fair play to the girls got over the line Absolutely, and promotion secured as well, given that Northern Ireland and Hungary um, drew. We will be chatting soccer and League Cup in due course. Just to mention the Copa del Rey round one, because an Irishman has opened the scoring for Getafe. John Joe, Patrick Finn, who was paternal links to Ballyhonas in East Mayo, makes a rare start for uh, the Madrid-based La Liga side this evening. And he opened the scoring in the seventh minute against CF Padienta uh, in the Spanish Cup. Uh, it's currently 5-0 there, so fair play to John Joe Patrick Finn. OK, Key Tracy, you're uh, sticking around. We will be chatting rugby uh, very shortly. Game on. Rugby. I should say we'll be chatting soccer very shortly because we're going to chat rugby now because Bernard Jackman is in uh, studio. And Bernard, big news today. David Humphreys has been confirmed as the new performance director of the IRFU, replacing David Nusafora, who will step down next year. Is this a good move by the IRFU? Yeah, I think so. I think David Humphreys is obviously someone who knows the Irish system very well, uh, but yes, has 
the experience of working in the UK in the in the Premiership uh, with Gloucester, where he's director of rugby, and recently and, and currently working for uh, English cricket uh, as a as a head of performance or head of high performance. So he's got experience working outside of rugby as well, and also he's got a lead in time. David Nussvor is going to finish it after the Paris Olympics, um, or obviously our men's and and women's seven team are qualified. So there's a good lead in time uh, he understands um, the nature of how the RFU works and I think more importantly he he's, he's more current um, in, in terms of rugby than maybe David Nussfor was when he, when, he, when he joined in terms of rugby in the northern hemisphere and the value of players etc so um, yeah I think it's a, it's a good appointment What will he bring in terms of Business acumen, also a coaching point of view. Yeah, overall. I don't. Yeah, I think it's more business and administration. So he was a qualified lawyer. He he was one of the the generation who uh, there was no academy. He basically was a was was uh, studying and then working as a lawyer when rugby and professional, and then had had the best of both worlds. So when he finished, he went into that more administration role. So he was a pure director of rugby in Ulster, um, and he recruited very well for Ulster. Um, and he would have been um, he would have been the Director Ruby who brought uh, Pinar over originally, but some very high profile uh, signings. Same in Gloucester. Now in Gloucester, the results weren't probably at the level that was expected by the board, uh, given the investment that they made. But um, he is someone who understands uh, the machine that is, uh, I suppose, recruitment both for coaching and players uh, and would have a lot of good contacts in the Northern Hemisphere which I think is important because I, I don't know what his vision for how the next four years looks but it may be a little bit more um, looking outward and the sharing of talent or the sharing of ideas because to be honest David Nussifor's probably legacy is um, it's mixed to be honest uh, in terms of the RFU strategic plan he misses a lot of the targets that were clearly under his um, under his uh, mandate or watch mm. and look at we could say the World Cup would have been the big one for him if he won that no one cared but his his mandate was to deliver a semi-final or better in 2019-2023 obviously we failed in that two or six more six and eight nation titles even though we won last year he's failed in that and the success in terms of the men's 15 was to consistently be ranked in the top three players in the world so one out of three and then provincial teams I think these targets are soft but teams consistently in the knockout stage of the European Cup the reality is the way the European Cup has gone we should always be in knockout stages but we, he succeeded in that failed in terms of two or more European titles and then success two or more Pro 14 titles and again given we're the best funded and the best resourced I think that's probably a little bit soft and then the women's game obviously a disaster under his tenure so um, David Humphries I think would have to come in and whether he, he, he keeps that role in terms of being responsible for the women's game uh, he needs to make sure that that improves uh, because the, the legacy of David Nussfor in the women's game is very poor and obviously he needs to decide whether the sevens is going to continue be continue to be a, a priority for the RFU which it was under David and if we're going to continue to fund that or are we going to continue to, are we going to put that funding into developing more the, um, the women's game or the, or the men's game so there's a big challenge there also the David Nussifor disenfranchised the club game um, and I think there's a bit of love to be given to them as well so look at it's been a very stable period under on, under Nussifor to be fair um, but the Irish model has always been stable it hasn't been like the Welsh or the Scottish or, or the English to be fair so I think the RFU have invested heavily um, and probably the pressure will come on David, on, on David Humphreys to turn that investment into what everyone's been chasing, which is silverware, provincial level, proper like big silverware, European cups, um, and 
World Cup success. That's, that's, that's the big one. Yeah. That is the big one. Uh, Kevin Potts, IRFU CEO, said, our search took us globally and ultimately David was the standout candidate. So is he the best man for the job in Look, your opinion? to be honest, there's not a lot of people who are equipped for this role. That's the that's the, the funny thing. Rugby is still, even though it's what, 20 years professional now, there isn't a huge amount of people who have had this role as head of performance for different for different unions and different and different unions handle it differently. So some don't have it. You know, they put massive faith in their in their head coach to do that and the CEO looks after a lot of it and they might have a head of a de- domestic game. Um other countries do it a little bit differently. So Razi, for example, as the director of rugby for for the Springboks was effectively doing what this role is in terms of trying to strategize and trying to to make sure that the long-term player pathways etc are are in place. So it's not there's not a huge amount of candidates. And when you look at the people who are being rumored for this it was it was Joe Schmidt, it was Razi Erasmus. Uh, now Joe has some experience in this role in with the uh, with World Rugby but he left that. Mm. So there's not a lot of administrators who have a, a rugby background. But uh, look at we had someone and look at he wasn't widely touted. It was a bit of a left field call um, but in hindsight when you look at his pedigree um, he does tick a, a lot of boxes and, and um, I think it's a, it's a good move um, and look as I said everything the RFU have invested a huge amount of money in Pro Ruby in Ireland and credit to them for doing that and I suppose for David, for David Humphreys it's what little small changes can he make to turn those failures on our strategic plan into, into, into successes Is it an attractive role and, and I suppose I asked that because you mentioned it, it's a small pool uh, of, of people they have to choose from there's a lot of challenges like for instance in, in another world might we be talking to Bernard Jackman no. high performance director like and no I asked that in a serious serious question in terms yeah. of successful in terms of business side Grenoble Dragons like on the rugby side of things as well like is this a role that, that you would want or that people in the rugby world would want yeah look at it it's a very high paid role um, and to be honest to work for the IRFU um, it's one of the most stable sport or rugby federations in in in, in the world. So, uh, and also you've got like you've got a great coach in Andy Farrell. You've got an under twenties and a great coach in Richie Murphy. You've got players coming through uh, to beat the band. So, without a doubt, it's an it's an attractive role. Um, I think I think Humphreys is is he's the ideal person because I said he has that business. Uh, he has the credibility as having been, uh, you know, a player in Ireland uh, and a very good player. He worked for Ulster. He would have dealt with the RFU from from a director Ruby point of view. So, for example, you know, he can sit down with Graham Roundtree or 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 Leo Cullen or Peter Wilkins or Dan McFarland, and actually, he's been in their shoes. You know, he's been in their shoes, and he can explain um, the challenge of wearing different hats uh, so and obviously now I'd love to I think what he's going to pick up with English cricket because I mean cricket is you know the the level of um, of excellence or ex- expertise that's involved in, in that uh, I think that's a really nice add on to his CV to get away from rugby for a while and come back in now with different ideas at the highest level in, in another sport um, I think that makes him uh, a very exciting um, appointment on on the flip side of that, just just to play devil's advocate, I think, not to speak on behalf of English cricket fans, but I mean, it's a disastrous World Cup they're having at the moment. Perhaps they've put too much emphasis on 100 competitions and, and T20 and everything else and not focusing on, on 50 over cricket. And that, that kind of leads in then to David Humphreys is now going to have to decide whether or not to um, you know prioritise sevens rugby and club rugby and everything else as well. So perhaps that hasn't gone brilliantly at the at the ECB. Yeah, no, and I think that's, that's probably... 
uh, that's good for us. You know what I mean? That's good for us that he he's in the middle of a, a of a situation where you know things aren't going well, and he's seen being able to handle that pressure be, uh, because um, he like look at the fact that they haven't had a big, uh, had, had a good season. I, like that's probably three or four years in the making. Mm. You know what I mean? And he's not directly responsible for that. But I think understanding how a body like that react to this his role in that the advice he can give dealing with the different stakeholders um, would be a, a good experience f- for him to have when he comes back to Ireland like I think that's the key is that we're getting him in six months time or uh, seven months time so every bit of experience he gets um, and, and learnings he gets from working in that situation which is difficult and look it's easy it's easy to ride the wave when things are going well you know so when Ireland are number one in the world you know everything is rosy right um, and as I said the Irish model is pretty easy to to manage because everybody is paid by the RFU. People are afraid to to speak out against mm. the RFU, um, and that certainly was kind of the the model and the way things were ran. Um, was you don't mess with with the system. Um, but I think Humphrey, from what I understand of him and know of him, he's a more collaborative type of guy, and maybe that collaboration will will lead to more silverware, more significant silverware, and more consistency. So. There has been success that that you've mentioned. There's also been some underperforming results in terms of one Heineken Cup in the last decade. The the women's uh, team going from a Rugby World Cup semi-final in 2014 to a Tier 3 competition at present. So what gets put on David Humphrey's plate? What's the first challenge? What's the biggest challenge he needs to overcome straight away? at the start of the job I think he needs to look at our well from there's different aspects we'll start with men's because that's the top of the RFU's uh, strategy so men's international team he needs to now look at how we're developing um, the high potential young players in our system so that in four years time they can be ready for Australia that's that, that's he has to start that now because if he starts that in three years time it'll be too late right mm. so he needs to look at that uh, and he has experience from the English model and, and probably has the, the what to do and what not to do because he would have been overseeing the, the Gloucester Academy as well and dealing with the RFU um, so that that will help lead to success that will also help to be fair help our province's chances of winning a European trophy over the next two three four years but at the same time he must make sure either he subcontracts that women's game and he appoints their own head of performance or, or high performance director that reports into him. Um, and that's that's one option. Or he takes it on board himself. And look, in fairness, look, there's been changes made. But literally, the drop-off in, in where our women's game is from where it was is is horrific. Um, and I know the RFU have invested a lot of money in all stuff. So the, the money isn't the answer here. It's it's getting the right people in place and getting the right program in place. So um, there are the two things for, for me that uh, he needs to decide. He, he, he needs to be priority for him because both will take a little bit of time. And if he doesn't start quickly, it'll be four years' time um, and it'll be another World Cup cycle and we'll, we'll be saying, oh, we missed an opportunity. What state is domestic club rugby in at the moment? Is Look, it's it, actually, in terms of health? Uh, it's struggling. The 1A is good because you have a lot of clubs who are um, very focused on trying to be successful for their own right. They're not getting a huge amount of support from, from the RFU um, and credit to them. And like to be honest as well, our pathway has very little to do with, with the RFU. Uh, the schools, the private schools are, are, are investing in their own students to try and give them the best possible chance. So mm. um, there's certain things that are successful in Irish rugby 
um, that I would say are a little bit unique um, and work on their own accord to a certain extent because of the legacy and the history and, and uh, the drive of the parents and teachers etc um, but again I think if you give the, if you give those schools and you give those clubs um, a little bit of love show them what the future could look like with support from the IRFU I think you'll get another bounce out of that and that's that's exciting for someone like David Humphreys I mean, he would have looked at this job and he would have looked at what's working well and what he could improve quickly and I'm sure he's identified a couple of quick wins which will uh, have a big impact mm. and is that the outside of the box thinking perhaps that yes there's a we have to get our, our four provinces up and, up and running and, and, and continued success for them and in terms of player the spread of players as well if there's too many out halves in province mm. A go to province B and, and, and that but do you think there might be an emphasis on perhaps bringing up AIL clubs in the standard there for example uh, Leinster front rower with Clontarf yeah Dylan Donlan yeah, yeah, in. steps into Leinster last minute albeit for an injury crisis or perhaps even more outside the box do we go looking at London Irish perhaps as well and, and trying to bring them in, under the umbrella in, in some way yeah look I think so I think the, 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 the reality is when you've had a setback which it's very very harsh because I think I admire a lot of what the Irish rugby team did but the setback is we didn't achieve um, higher than we expected or mm. hoped to, right? So that's a setback. And if you look at how other teams have reacted to setbacks in the past, uh, New Zealand, 12 months ago, they managed to review that in a forensic manner and get to a World Cup final. South Africa, back in 2017, were a laughing stock playing in, in the Aviva against Ireland, lost by 40 points. Razzie comes in, they win two World Cups. So the challenge for us is, without it ever getting as bad as it did for New Zealand or, or South Africa, to be able to, be able to say, look, we haven't done what we said we wanted to do or going to do. What can we change? And I think that's the problem a little bit. Sometimes when you're winning and you're top of the world, um, you ignore some big cracks in, in your system. And I think we have done that. I think we have done that. And we all hope that that wouldn't affect the the the, the outcome in mm, Paris. Yeah. And, and look, it was a bounce for ball, etc. But I think that's the that's the challenge now or the opportunity. And for Kevin Potts, this is his first one of his first big appointments. Yeah. You know, so together um, with the committee of the IRFU, they need to make sure that we look at uh, we do everything possible to change the next World Cup in Australia. And I wouldn't have been massively obsessed with World Cups but being in Paris last over the last couple of, uh, couple of months seeing the impact that winning a World Cup has to, uh, the, what a big deal it is and the effect that could have on on, on securing rugby's future uh, I know everyone's chasing it but it, it's worth chasing because mm, it, it can galvanise galvanise yeah it can change change completely the landscape um, uh, for the future generation so I think it is worth being a little bit radical in the right places uh, but also harnessing and strengthening what we already have um, which is a lot of it's really good and the RFU have supported the game professional game in particular in men's game um, at a level that it can't be questioned it's just uh, um, have we been taken outside the box I mean we talked about we talked about oh we're going to move players the only player that's really moved of, of any note was Joey Carberry mm. that was four or five years ago you know what I mean so that hasn't worked right? I don't think that should be the answer I don't believe in that I think you should have a high percentage of Munster born or Munster players Munster men playing for Munster Connacht etc etc but what can we do to try and find us three or four extra players that could have made a difference in Paris or will make a difference in, in Sydney that's the key OK well it certainly will be interesting to see um, how it does 
go. Uh, final one for you, Bernard. Away from that, Warren Gatland is saying Andy Farrell, the right man for the Lions. Do you agree? Yeah, I think he's a shoe in. I mean, the the what he's achieved with Ireland um, over the last couple of years, his legacy with the Lions, um, his uh, the respect that the players have for him. Mm. Warren Warren went for Andy Farrell over Sean Edwards, who was his loyal. Lieutenant, that was a huge. It actually caused a bit of friction between both of them because he really believed in what Farrell could bring, and I think he served his time. And I think it's a foregone conclusion that he'll take a year break from Ireland uh, to go coach the Lions. Another headache for David Humphrey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Brendan Jackman, thank you very much uh, for popping into the studio from rugby football to association football. Keith Tracy is standing by to chat soccer in a few moments. Stay with us here in Game On. Game On football. Mayor, you're very welcome back to Game On. Shane Dawson here with you all the way to 7 o'clock. Keith Tracy is in studio to chat football. Um, Carabao Cup, let us start with the English League Cup for the traditionalists. Uh, West Ham, Arsenal, Bournemouth, Liverpool, Chelsea, Blackburn, Everton, Burnley, Ipswich Town, Fulham. But let us begin with the 8-15 kick-off. Manchester United versus Newcastle United, a repeat of last year's final. Um, is this a competition these two sides will be gunning to win? Uh, I'm not sure about going to win. I think if if they were get to the to the latter stages of it, they'd rip your hands off and then mm. probably start to take it seriously. But I think for Manchester United and Everton Hag in particular, if he was to lose this game tonight, that would be United out of the AFL Cup. I would you know put, go out on a limb and say they're not going to win the Champions League. I think they might drop down and do well in the Europa League, but they're not going to win the Premier League. They're not going to win the Champions League. They could go out of the AFL Cup tonight. Mm. It's not great reading. We're not even at Christmas yet and United could be out of every single competition. And I, I've just read a stat there that since February this year, they've dropped from 73% to 56% win rate, which is awful when you're talking about a Manchester United team that's supposed to be one of the elite teams in, in, in England, in Europe, in the world. It's just been nowhere near good enough. I'd I, I done the game on Sunday against Manchester City and... They were absolutely toothless. It was 3-0 and it probably could have been a lot worse if Manchester City wanted it to be. They played 10 games in the Premier League and lost five of them. That, mm. That's Manchester United. This is just not good enough. And Look, I don't want to be critical of, of Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans because I think the two of them have actually thrown a few punches. They're doing their best back there. But, you know, if you have Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans and, and Lindelof playing left-back when Regulon and Varane are on the bench, it just doesn't seem right whatsoever. When you contrast that with how Newcastle are going... <coughs> I have to say, Shane, I'm really looking forward to this game because the needle that was put in mm. with Eric Ten Hag last season saying Newcastle's game management are always wasting time. And obviously Eddie Howe now has come out and said, well, we'll beat United at a, at a fast-paced game and we'll play them that way. And I have to be honest, I'm a little bit fearful for United. I think this Newcastle team are really good, not just the starting eleven. I think the bench they have as well, which I believe uh, Eddie Howe will, will utilise tonight. When you look at Callum Wilson, scored seven goals in the Premier mm. League. And this is a player who, if Isak's fully fired and fit, he probably doesn't even play, which is, you know, it's a crazy thing today to say. Anthony Gordon, Almiron and Kieran Trippier, you know, and this would probably annoy the sports fans as well. For all, all everybody who keeps shouting at me about James Madison doing so well, Kieran Trippier has six assists as well this season and he's created the same amount of chances as James Madison. Kieran Trippier for me, what was he, 12 million yeah. brought in from Atletico Madrid. Unbelievable. Him and Dan Bourne, 8 million. Some, I know with, with Spen Votman, certain players, Bruno Gomares, they broke the bank, to, so to speak, but there's certain players there that has just been really, really clever. And that a bed bone of that Newcastle team, mm. Dan Bourne, Kieran Trippier, excellent. Is it too far of a stretch to say that this is a must win for Eric Ten Hag, given everything that you've said there and everything that's going on? 
Possibly, Shane, yeah. Look, if they were to get beaten tonight, and look, Newcastle can steamroll anybody. I, I've, I've seen them do it the PSG up in St. James's. I, I know this is in Old Trafford, but I really don't think Newcastle would be daunted by this whatsoever. And if the likes of Rashford and Bruno Fernandes torn up with the walk rate that he did against Manchester City, then you know it can be can be steamrolled tonight. And you know, if, it, if it's 2 or 3 nil and it's a really disappointing performance as they have been over the last couple of days... Yeah, I, I think a decision could be made and that, that's probably a little bit harsh on Eric Ten Hag because the players have to take a big, big bulk of what's going on there. I've been at clubs when the ownership is up in the air, when people aren't happy. How much does that affect you? It doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't change. It, it, no. it does, you're able to just block no, it out. Yeah. Look, your day-to-day doesn't really doesn't, doesn't change whatsoever. You get out of bed, you drive to the training ground, you, you go to the gym, you do your training and you go home again. Mm. You look after yourself and you will you will hear all these things. I know lads are on social media, Sky Sports News is, is just on in the training ground. 24-7 they will get wind of all this but you know that's an out if you start not playing yeah. well then you can use it as an out but you know I, I don't hear Roy Keane I don't hear the old United legend saying the stuff in the background isn't helping I hear Gary Neville saying a lot but I'm hearing a lot of people then saying you know what's happening on the pitch like playing playing Lindelof left back instead of Regulon that's not the Glazers fault yeah. there's an awful lot the players have to answer for and look I get the off the field issues it's not ideal but I think that group of players to be sitting eighth in the Premier League and lost half of their games already it's just not good enough One news line today I saw on the BBC website Manchester United goalkeeper Andre Onana has agreed to play for Cameroon at the Africa Cup of Nations in January and could miss seven domestic matches is that another headache or perhaps uh, a blessing in disguise Yeah we were just saying that weren't you? <laughs> is that a positive or a negative at the minute well to be fair Onana he, he came out of the of the City game with his head held high and I know he picked the ball yeah. out of the back of the net three times but, but it could have been a lot worse It really could have and it, it's it's again this sounds patronising to say I think the goalkeeper could have got man of the match when they get hammered 3-0 but he was that he, he made probably three or four very very good saves so Onana did play well and look at he, Onana didn't come to United because of his shot stopping De Gea was a decent shot stopper yeah. it was his footballing ability and it's his footballing ability that's coming into question when he's splitting the two centre halves and he, he's trying to play these long diags that are just going out of play he he came here for that that's supposedly his bread and butter his 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 shot stopping at times against Bayern Munich the one that squirms under him has been poor but the last couple of games he seems to be getting better and wouldn't it be just like United if their best player goes out the door now <laughs> goes missing for a couple it, of weeks it says that I think it sums up all of Manchester United problems that yeah. 3-0 derby defeat and your, your goalkeeper could be your man of the match exactly, it shouldn't yeah. be the case um, speaking of Manchester United then Kieran McKenna who was uh, on the coaching books um, at uh, Manchester United is now managing Ipswich Town so Kieran McKenna from Fermanagh of course and that's Ipswich Town second in the championship uh, McKenna himself, the second youngest manager in all four English divisions. And Ipswich Town, tough place to go to. And that, that's not cliched, it is, like to try and change the whole mentality of football there. It is, yeah. You know, uh, nobody nobody wants to play against Ipswich away. Just, you know, even though I think their closest home game is a good couple of miles away against Norwich. So even yeah. the, even the derbies are, you know, they're, they're, they're a stretch. They're a, they're a big, big stretch. And to go there and, and start turning the crowd, start playing well... And, Played 13 games already this season, won 11, drew one, lost one. The style of play is really good. Look, I know people would say he was the Manchester United assistant manager for three years, but he's standing on his own two legs now and he seems to be doing really well. He's nine points clear of Leeds in tour place in the championship. He's, play, he's played 90, 95 games as the Ipswich manager and he's won 60% of them. So that's 57 games out of, out of uh, 95, which is not bad, but it's the style of play. Beat a Premier League club last week, uh, last in the last, last round, round beat Wolves yeah. 3-2 so 
yeah, it's really, really impressive. And I'm sure his name, although he's going under the radar and it's probably not a, a debate we want to get in just yet, we'll probably get into when the international is around. But I'm sure Kieran's name has been thrown around for the for the national job because, yeah. as we say, he's a, he's a very proud Irish man and I'm sure it would appeal to him, but he is only 37 years of age. It's, is that a bad or a good thing? Because, I mean, like, you think he, he t- takes over from... What, Mick McCarthy, Paul Lambert, Paul Cook in Ipswich, who, with respect, probably have their own style of football. And then you have McKenna coming in. I mean, Ipswich only promoted into the championship when, when he took over, and they're already second, albeit now it's what, 11, 13 games into the season or whatever it is. But, like, I mean, did we, that, that could be a good thing that he is young and, and has this fresh mentality. Yeah, it could be. But if, if I'm honest, Stephen, when I... When I, when I Oh, sorry, Shane. When I when I look at this this Ireland team, I think you have to be very pragmatic with this Irish team. I don't think you can you can go there and say this is how we're going to play. I think Stephen Kenny has has bet that drum for an awful long time now, and I think we need we need a hybrid approach. We need to be pragmatic, and I think Kieran, if he comes in and has a look at it, you know how he would how he might address it. I'm not too sure, but a young manager who's unscarred and <laughs> you know hasn't come out the wrong side of too many results, maybe maybe it could be a good thing, but. I just I think whatever manager comes in there has to cut their cloth accordingly. I, you know I don't mm. think there's too much talent in the especially in the middle of the pitch if you want to be a possession based team. Okay, let us uh, chat about another champion team, Blackburn Rovers. And I suppose from an Irish perspective, we're hoping that Andy Moran might star at Stamford Bridge. Um, it's been tough for a former club of yours, at, you know Blackburn at the moment. So this perhaps. It's been tough for Chelsea as well, to be fair. So I was going to say this might be an upset, but I don't know what result that means. No, look, I think Chelsea, it looks like Reese James might get his four starts since the opening game of the season. That'll be a huge, huge plus for them. I enjoy watching him. And the big thing for Chelsea is I don't I don't think Pochettino has a clue what his best eleven is yet. Yeah. You know, there's, I don't even want to get back into it. I've been banging the drum that there's players there that are on seven, eight-year deals, which is just ludicrous to me. I... I I think when a manager has to slap a player on the wrist and the, the player sitting on a seven or eight year deal, it's very hard to follow through with that so, that type of stuff. So, yeah, look, Chelsea not great at the minute. They do seem to they're showing us little flashes and then they're coming off it again. Mm. Then showing us a flash and coming off. And there is an awful lot of youth in that Chelsea team. And with youth, you get inexperience or you know they will dro- they will come up and drop back down. But Blackburn, I, I was having a look to see if Smodix. I think Smodix is not going to play as well tonight. So hopefully more than more than does play, and we'll uh, we'll get to watch him through early shows. Absolutely. Jack Taylor at Ipswich, Darrow Shea, Josh Cullen, Obafemi on Burnley's books. Um, and then Bournemouth, Liverpool, West Ham, Arsenal. I suppose you're expecting wins for Arsenal and Liverpool in those matches? Yeah, I, I, I would expect Liverpool to go and beat Bournemouth easily enough. I, I, I assume Liverpool will be will be under strength. Uh, it's just the Luis Diaz thing. Is that going to creep in? You know, that dressing mm. room can't be happy. And it, it's the most human thing in the world to put yourself in that situation and think how, how Luis Diaz must be feeling. So if that creeps in, then maybe Liverpool, Liverpool could be torn over. But given how they played on the weekend, I would imagine they'd be fine. And Arsenal, look, I, I've watched the last couple of West Ham games. They've been absolutely awful against really uh, off a cliff, like, against yeah. Aston Villa. They were they were so so poor, and then they, they went and played Olympiacos in uh, in Europe, and they were they were awful again. And then they played Everton in the Premier mm. League, and they were really really poor. Everton torn them over one 0 It was a brilliant Calvert Lewin goal, but. The, the basics of a West Ham team is high energy, high press, going to give you nothing. They'll play a low block, but as soon as you lose the ball, they're going to tr- shove it down your throat. And they just seem really leggy. Ward Prowse is not used to playing in, in Europe. Obviously, a very good player at Southampton, but he's competing now every three or four days, which he, he's probably not used to. And yeah, look, Arsenal have been good. I expect Arsenal to, to go and get the job done. Arsenal would be on their strength, you would imagine, again. But 
I think on paper you can only see only see one winner there. Okay, further afield, Argentina and Inter Miami forward Lionel Messi has won the men's Ballon d'Or for an eighth time uh, this week. Is this the final one? Is this like the changing of the guard of the Messi Ronaldo? Now we're we're going on to this is the last time that we'll see that name up there. Yeah, I, I would have thought so. But if you asked me that the last time he won, I probably would have said that as well. To be honest with you, saying so. Look, he, he's an amazing player, and you, you wouldn't begrudge him it when, uh, as soon as Argentina won the World Cup, I think we all said in our heads he's going to get the Ballon yeah. d'Or. And yeah, he, he was excellent. He's really, really good. And you know what? What can you say? What more can anybody say about that man, Messi? Yeah. He's unbelievable. He's the one player that whoever he's playing for, you just tune in and you think it, it will come at some point. He'll get you on the edge of your seat. And yeah, a brilliant servant of the game. Eight Ballon d'Ors. Probably the best, well, he is, he's the best player in my uh, in my lifetime. Yeah, no, absolutely. So he won it ahead of Haaland in second and Mbappe third. Um, Jude Bellingham, like, I mean, we, we've talked about it on the show before. He won the Copa Trophy, so that's the world's best player, age under 21. But, like, even he took Zidane's number at Real Madrid, mm. young kid, different, like, foreign country for him, and just absolutely bossing it. Yeah, look, even uh, Messi's won the, the Ballon d'Or now. You, you talk about Haaland and you talk about Mbappe. Bellingham is is a much more rounded player than any of them. Take Messi aside now. Yeah. Messi Messi can do a little bit of everything, but Joe Bellingham defense. He he picks the ball up from deep. He'll score headers. He'll score goals. He his walk rate is is unbelievable. And any young player who wants to get to the level of of a Messi or a Ronaldo, watch Joe Bellingham because mm-hmm. I, I watched him against uh, I watched him against Scotland for England. I watched him against Napoli. I watched him against uh, Italy. Every time I watch him live, he's the best player on the pitch. And it's not just the, his technical ability. It's not just his goals. It's not just a rive and lay. It's his walk rate. His walk rate is, is outstanding. It really, really is. And you don't get into that Real Madrid team at 20 if you don't have a walk rate. He has all the talent in the world. And I, I do think he's going to go and win the Ballon d'Or a handful of times if he keeps going the way he's going. And for me, he's already the best player in the world. Because as I say, I think he can do a little bit of everything. Haaland scores goals, doesn't really get involved in the game. And Mbappe, you could argue, drifts in and out of games. But Joe Bellingham has a bigger say on how games go for me. And you've seen his goals return for Real Madrid already this season yeah. to go and get Zidane's number as well. It, it's a little bit cocky, but it's a nice cocky. But, I like but he that. owns it. It's yeah. like, and you even know, his he... celebration, when he just puts his hands in the air, he's like, yeah, I'm good and I know it. But <laughs> when, when he speaks to the media, he endears himself. He doesn't come across as a cocky yeah. young lad. He comes across as a really grounded boy. And yeah, I, I, I love watching him. And again, with Messi, he's, if, if England are playing, the first name I look for is Joe Bellingham. And if he's playing, I go and watch England. And uh, I have to be honest, Shane, I'm terrified he's going to lead them to the Euros. Terrified. Oh, no, don't say that. <laughs> we're, we're ending our football chat just because you said that, Keith Tracy. Um, listen, no, thank you very much for popping in. Um, great to chat, as always. Uh, OK, we are going to chat Gaelic games and golf as well, so stick with us here. Lots to come. Game on. GAA. Well, it is time to chat Gaelic Games now in the company of Damien Lawler. As is nearly tradition now, Damien, of a Wednesday. Bad news in the kingdom. Jack Barry stepping away for 2024. How big of a blow is this for Kerry football? Shane, it's a big blow because uh, when you're chasing when you're chasing Dublin and you're trying to get your All-Ireland back, you need everybody you know, on the books and you need options at midfield and Jack Barry was a powerhouse. And, you know, he's a, a fine age, late 20s, a lot of experience, made his debut 2017, knew what it was like to, to, to experience hurt, but knew what it was like to win an All-Ireland as well. And you just simply can't replace that experience uh, too easily, Shane. And, you know, we've covered 
Nogales matches. We've carried, we've covered the Kerry, the Kerry Club Championship there mm. in recent times, and the Kerry County Championship, and we've seen him play for Nogales, and he's just been a standout player the whole time, and probably to such an extent that they were comfortable maybe trying Shawnee O'Shea maybe at midfield alongside him. They were, they were equally comfortable playing Shawnee O'Shea at number eleven because the new Jack was there, but um, the bottom line, just researching this. He's been hammering tongues at football since nine years of age. That's 20 years service he's given. And it's, he himself and his girlfriend are going away to Australia. And you know what? In the grand scheme of things, it's a huge, huge blow to Jack O'Connor. Um, but you can't blame him either. Like Jack and his Kerry squad are going off to New York pretty soon for a five-day training camp. And you can be fairly sure that their intent is clear. Let's get the year off to a high. Let's get a great bank of training done. Let's go and catch the dubs. And they'd want everybody there. Jack Barry would have been a, a key part of that first 15. And it's another body that they have to replace now, Shane. And you know what? You're going to need serious strength and depth to replace that. Absolutely. Well, we've seen it, other examples as well with intercounty stars stepping away perhaps for a year and coming back even stronger. So hopefully we do see um, Jack Barry lining out for the kingdom uh, once more. Um, another man that we will not see in 2024 playing intercounty football is All-Ireland winner Ronan McNamee who has uh, been an integral part of the Tyrone defence but he's called time in his career. Is this expected news and, and how big of a loss is it for Tyrone? It's a big loss as well because, you know, when they won the All-Ireland a few years ago, he was man-marking Aidan O'Shea, he was man-marking David Clifford. He did a fine job. You speak about the experience, his three Ulster Championships, 2016, 17 and 2021. A uh, crowning moment came when they won the All-Ireland. Uh, an All-Star as well, and 10 years playing for his, for his county. Um, you know, his club, he ran to win the first, first All-Star for them. And uh, made his Championship debut in 2012 under Mickey Hart and played 133 times for the county Scored 18 points from defence as well, Shane. So, I'll be honest with you, that's a massive, massive loss. But again, he, he probably knows there's life outside of football now. 32 years of age, been there, done that. And I think, as we've seen, Shane, over the last few years, the age of people retiring is getting younger and younger. So, Jack is 29 going off travelling. Ronan's 32. He's retiring. And maybe the, the pandemic has, has showed these ads as well. There is more to life than getting football. So, we're probably going to see more and more of it, Shane. Yeah, it will be certainly interesting to see if there's any other names before um, a ball is thrown in in the league campaign. Even uh, John Costello has officially retired, Damien, after 29 years as Dublin GA County Secretary. Has there been a more transformative figure in county boards than John Costello? It's a really good question. And you, you look back there, you know, obviously Frank Murphy was renowned for his strength and his rule, rule book prowess um, in Cork. Ned Quinn would be very, very highly lauded for, you know, you know, setting a great structure in Kilkenny, Shane, and having Nolan Park in such fine shape as it is. Now, people will argue and say, hang on a second now, Dublin GEA got plenty of money, they got plenty of uh, government funding and plenty of funding from the GEA, so, you, you know, you, you will have that thrown at you. Mm. But John Costello was an unbelievable ambassador because it's all very well having money there, um, you know, but, like, there was a period of time there where Gaelic, Gaelic Games you know, maybe for a man as young as yourself, Shane, you won't believe it, but Gaelic Games was on his knees in the city and in the capital as well. In terms of participation number, in terms of hurling, footballers hadn't had a successful time of it. And John was at the forefront there for three decades to try and change that around. I'm sure he was at the forefront of helping to get funding, but it's all very well getting money and getting funding, but you must do something with it. 
John did unbelievably well with what he got. Um, the Blue Wave report, a strategic report on how to change the fortunes of Gaelic games in the capital, he would have been behind that. And I mean, he'd have been behind the championship structures, he'd have been behind the, the structures that allowed Jim Gavin to go and complete the, the five in a row, and Desi to add the sixth title as well. He's had so much, so much good to show for Dublin. Uh, he would have defended any Dublin player he could, kept the, kept the county board happy, uh, the camp was comfortable. I think people could get on with him, they could relate to him. He was very, very fair in his role. But you don't take over a monster like Dublin GEA for three decades and stay in situ, Shane, without having unbelievable abilities and skills as, a, as an ambassador and as well as an administrator as well. And I'll be honest with you, maybe the only surprise I have is that he didn't really maybe morph into the, the role of a, a national administrator because he certainly would have been a welcome addition to the, the hierarchy in Crow Park. But I guess he was happy in his own homestead there, you know, Parnell Park, the offices, he turned the lights out there. And, and himself and Paddy Maloney, all these guys in Parnell Park and they're part of the furniture. And he will miss it, but Dublin GEA will miss him as well. Uh, facilitator, got the structures in place, great organiser, uh, would defend the county to the hilt. Every mm. year his annual reports were worth reading. Uh, he always had a cut of people who had a cut of Dublin. And uh, yeah, I don't think you'll see his likes again too easily, Shane. No, absolutely. Those annual annual reports, hated or adored, they were definitely never ignored anyway. Um, that's for sure. Um, on the opposite end of the spectrum then, and all the, the perceived riches that, that Dublin have, you have a county like Leitrim who are facing massive challenges in terms of sponsorship issues. I mean, how concerning is that, Damien? Yeah, so look, I mean, it's a really good contrast, Shane, that you make. And Leitrim GEA announced a new sponsor, the Gallagher Group, this week. And the, the Gallagher Group is their second sponsor outside of the, outside of the country. Uh, the Gallagher Engineering Group is based in Kent, but before that you had J.P. Clark Spar, Seamus Clark in, in New York. So the reason I bring up Leitrim is I, I'm probably, you know, just talking about John Costello in Dublin, but at the other end of the scale, I'm continually in awe of counties like Leitrim and how they, how they get on with it. And, um, you know, like 2022 saw them record a deficit of €140,000. And their county team broke the, the cost barrier, broke the 800000 mark. And you're dealing there in the county sports where the, the senior footballers will bring you in a certain amount of gate receipts. But the Leitrim hurlers, the gate receipts wouldn't be a huge chain. Mm. And like to be a massive, massive overhead for them. And of the 139000 deficit last year, uh, I think there's just probably a county like Leitrim can't uh, you know, absorb a blow like that too easily. But to be fair to them, to be fair to Enda Stenson and the county board up there, they, they get on with it. Like they have a high high profile management team and Andy Moore and Mickey Graham has gone in as coach. So that's like a, a grade A coaching team for Leitrim. Um, you know, for them to win a Talisman Cup would be unbelievably significant. Uh, they don't they don't whinge about it, but they get, they get off their backsides and try and do something about it. They're constantly having fundraising walks. They're constantly looking for associate sponsors. And as I said, they're not content maybe just to look within the 32 counties. They're prepared to look beyond as well. And even a trip to New York, a trip to London, that they are subjected to play uh, teams in the National League and in the Connacht Championship, that could set them back up, you know, a couple of hundred grand or a hundred thousand at least for a domestic trip. Um, and, you know, they are subsidised by the Connacht Council and the GEA, Shane, but... Really, you are talking about the other end of the scale. You're talking about limited gate receipts, certainly in terms of Leitrim hurlers. And it just shows what can be done. The county board are able to keep it afloat. You know, I, I hear about Waterford football and could they potentially go junior? 
uh, it probably costs four, four or five hundred thousand to run the water for footballers. I'm sure it's the same for Leitrim, the Leitrim hurlers, all the GPA members have to get their cost paid for. But the, the reserves aren't there sometimes. They looked outside the 32 counties again. They will continually find new ways to raise money. And you have to admire them, Shane. You know, when you are talking about the likes of John Costello, the administrators in Leitrim, they're equal heroes, if not bigger heroes in the GEA. Absolutely, and it's certainly a positive outside-of-the-box thinking. Um, one county that has thought outside the box or outside the county perhaps is Tipperary because it looks like the Tipperary senior football manager saga is coming to an end. Last time you and I spoke, you, you, you mentioned Paul Kelly was, was the front-runner and now it looks like it's a done deal. Yeah, did we, did we kind of half-break it, Shane, without actually putting it? It was a, a very political answer, uh, David. Yeah, I would have made a career out of it because if you're to go with half of what you know before people know about it, uh, you wouldn't last too long in this business. But um, no, look, it looks like he's finally going to get the nod. Former Nace, former Thomas Davis manager, selector with Wicklow last year. Uh, the word is that Hugh Kenny from Wicklow is going in as coach with him. And of course, Cracker then, Paul Fitzgerald, uh, former Tipperary goalkeeper, he's, he's rumoured to be part of the, the ticket as well. Um, and there's also an interesting development there uh, by all accounts behind the scenes in terms of one of their, 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 their fitness personnel so look at the end of the day the temporary board will be glad to sign off on this if it does go ahead finally because a few weeks ago Shane uh, we, were, we were nearly crowning Peter Keane and that was well down the road uh, that's why I wasn't going to go too far down the road with Paul Kelly last week but we did have it last Wednesday night the papers have subsequently picked up upon it um, what did Paul Kelly bring bring a, a good football knowledge a nice style of football play counter-attacking it's a suit temporary but he has his work cut out for him. Like a lot of the star players have moved on. Conor Sweeney coming back from injury. The likes of Michael Quinlivan not committing to the county for the last couple of years. Um, but then again, look, he looked at Clamell Commercials in the Provincial Championship. They're a fine team. There are great footballers in Tipperary. Nice pockets of football around it. And um, I do believe that if the dual player was allowed maybe breed in Tipperary a bit more, uh, that you'd have lots to pick from, to be honest with you. So, look, he'll go in, give it a shot. There's been no nobody in place since July, so they're definitely in the curve in terms of getting going again. But I'd imagine if he's announced fairly soon with the backroom team, I'd imagine preparation will begin almost immediately. And um, Paul Kelly will, will bring a big football knowledge to it. And, you know, probably saw there a couple of instances in the past. Uh, you know, he does good work with teams and he's going to get a chance at inter-county level with Tipperary now and both parties will be hoping it works out for them but you're eight weeks off from Christmas uh, National League starts at the end of January so there will lots to get through lots to get through Shane Absolutely well, we'll be interested to see if that um, is a progressive move for Tipperary football Damien Lawrence, thank you very much Game on GAA now, before we go, we are going to end with golf because stage two of the DP World Tour qualifying school takes place this week and Gary Moran joins us now because, Gary, there's plenty of Irish interest in it. Yeah, plenty of Irish interest, plenty of interest from around the world, really. 320 players teeing it up at four courses in Spain just to try to reach the next stage, which is the Q School finals next week. Uh, some players are exempt into that and they'll be joined by some of the players coming through stage two. 12 Irish playing this week, 36 Americans. It seems to be a, a growing trend of a rising number of Americans. It's obviously incredibly competitive over there and the college system is so strong over there. They can't all get on the Corn Ferry Tour or the Latino America Tour. Tour, or of course the PGA Tour which is where, where it's really at and the DP World Tour may be seen and is really not it's not at the PGA Tour's level in terms of prize money or kudos or depth of field but it 
it's the second biggest tour in the world if you exclude Liv from consideration uh, one Liv player Brooks Kepka, he came through this process he played on the Challenge Tour in Europe in 2012 a mix of Challenge Tour and DP World in 2013 then the DP World Tour gets onto the PJ Tour properly in 2015 mm. and is the major machine compared to anyone else since 2015 five majors since then so it can be done with Americans coming over they spend a lot of money I mean a lot of these guys are eking out in existence they're borrowing money and it's it's a gamble almost for them. I mean, there's nothing much to be gained and yeah. a lot of heartache. And it's such a tough sport. No crowds, you're out on your own, you're probably pulling your own trolley. Yeah. It's a tough, tough it's lonely. It is. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's not like tennis where, okay, you, you get beaten, but there's an opponent or you yeah, don't quite, yeah. I mean, you can hit it out of bounds with a slight, slightly bad swing on the, on the first hole or on the last hole. Yeah. I mean, some of the Irish players have had a lot of success like Paul Dunn won the British Masters six years ago got into the top 70 of the world rankings he's struggled a lot in the last few years some are amateurs and they can remain amateurs if they, they don't cut it this week or, or next and then you've got some guys who are pros and one I might look out for Ronan Malarney top the order of merit on the Alps Tour this year which is a really decent achievement and he'd be one of the ones who you might think would come through and we could really do with some more players mm. coming through because beneath Power, Larry and McElroy on the PGA Tour. Harrington can play more or less wherever he wants and Tom McKibben. There's no one else with mm. serious status on the DP World Tour or the PGA Tour and hasn't been really, really getting high up except McKibben in the last few years. OK, will be interesting to see. Hopefully it is uh, positive for Irish uh, golf. Just before we do go, Quiven Keller, Andrew Moran, Darrow Shea, Josh Cullen all start in the League Cup for their respective clubs. Lean scales starts for Celtic against St Mirren in Scotland. And finally, a big, big thank you to everyone who texted in to tell us who their Camogie Sandow Player of the Year was. And a massive congratulations to Elaine Brehany, who chose Tip's Kochnavan as her standout Camogie Player of the Year for driving Tip with her standards, not to mention a goal versus Antrim. Elaine wins €400, euro, all thanks to PW see and if you missed out today don't worry because we'll be back doing it all again tomorrow in the meantime head across to rte.e forward slash GAA to get voting for who you think should make the Camogie team of the year and remember just for voting just for voting you could win 3,000 euro that is all we have time for big thanks to Gary Moran and Lordy Davis on production uh, Betta da Silva is up next on 2FM so stay tuned I'll be back from 6 tomorrow so from all of the game on team it is bye for now